At the Cryptid Keeper podcast, we love to laugh at the darkness, but we would never laugh at the rich cultures that explore it, or the unique cultural significance of the creatures explored. The jokes within are on no one but us. We encourage additional research on the subjects covered here, and hope that a comedy podcast is not your primary source of information. Cryptid Keeper Podcast, the podcast for cryptids and their keepers. That's us. And if you're listening, it's you too. I'm Alex Flanagan. And I'm Addison Peacock. And it is very important to me that all the people at home who are listening to this episode picture me recording this with a uh, stick of Pocky between my fingers as if it were a particularly elegant cigarette holder. (laughs) That's the only way to hold it. That's canon, baby. It is. It really truly is. I'm like... I feel like every cool um, radio host in like an apocalyptic movie, which is maybe just where my brain is right now. But you know, like when there's a cool sort of like roughshod radio host who's got a cigarette between her fingers and she's talking to the radio and she's like, hey, Mac, I don't care about what's going on out there. The truth starts here. You know what I mean? Yes. Except it's Pocky and I'm podcasting. I cannot emphasize enough how much we need to watch Pontypool if I can find it on a streaming service. Mm, Yeah, I just saw somebody else tweeting about it earlier and I thought about that. It is like you're just, you brought up the rough radio host in an apocalypse Mm -hmm. again and I can't help but be reminded. Yeah, I think it was, I think I liked the tweet because it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was someone that I follow tweeting about it and it might have been the tweet that you saw. Anyway. (laughs) It probably was. If you like, like, I was really... thinking specifically of the of the radio host from the stand, but I'm always That's thinking about the stand fair. these days. You're always thinking about the stand. Um, I'm never not thinking about the stand, like in this current situation. Ah, uh, that's very fair. I was watching a sitcom the other day where, like, there was a premise, like there was a like a it was like a whole like like the B plot of the episode was that like mm-hmm. one of the people had gotten sick, and then one of the other people in the house has like an important like job like work thing, so he puts them all in like one room that he like blocks off with saran wrap and is like, "You're in quarantine," and it made me start sweating. I was like, "Oh no, I can't watch this." <laughs> This is too much. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, some stuff's hitting different these days. Sure is. So, ah, I've had three cups of coffee. Um, this most recent one also, I, I, I don't like, I like to put maple syrup in my coffee. I like the flavor. I like the flavor it gives. It's a good, uh-huh. a good, uh, a good taste sensation. Um, and I definitely had too heavy of a hand on this particular cup so it's like very very sweet it's good it tastes like candy but like it's very very sweet just so a nice I'm... little slurry of caffeine and maple sugar <laughs> mm-hmm. so i think i'm rocking both the caffeine and like a little sugar high mm-hmm. so it's just kind of a whole i don't know we'll see i just as long as i don't crash while we're recording then we're a-okay sweet as pie sweet as maple syrup I am at this point, my, I have no strategy for picking my subjects. I just go, I follow my heart. I close my eyes mm-hmm. and I follow my heart and that, and she takes me where I need to go. Uh, Honestly, I love that for you. Thank you. Unfortunately for you and for literally everyone listening, that m- the place my heart takes me tends to be kind of spooky, scary. Anyway, today's episode is about poltergeists. Ooh. Yeah. So we did discuss poltergeists briefly on um, a previous episode. Uh, I've brought them up before. Obviously, like when you're talking about ghosts, poltergeists will come up. But I wanted to mm-hmm. initially, I wanted to just do an episode about the Bell Witch. But I decided that I, I, I will be spending a good portion of today's episode on the Bell Witch. Okay. But rather than diving specifically into that poltergeist, I thought I would cast my net just a little bit wider mm-hmm. and do um, poltergeists as a whole. So if you're not familiar uh, with what a poltergeist is, it is a specific type of ghost or, or haunting. There's debates about whether or not poltergeists are actually spirits. Uh, but it's a kind of haunting that, as opposed to other hauntings, which are more like visual apparitions or things like that, voices, that sort of thing, poltergeists don't involve really any visual apparitions. They're, they're invisible and most notably marked by like destructive often violent physical behavior, breaking things, throwing objects, people having the covers pulled off of them in the middle of the night, people being Mm -hmm. pinched and poked and having their hair pulled. Poltergeists are largely regarded as being like more mischievous or more angry or just more active in general than like other 
basic hauntings. That's what sets them apart. Yeah, I would say that, like, I've heard stories of poltergeists that range from, like, sort of impish but harmless Mm -hmm. straight up to, like, violently dangerous. That is absolutely the range. And poltergeists, um, there is absolutely a wide range. Some poltergeists, pretty much the worst they do is move things around or, like, break stuff. Which, don't get me wrong, that's not great to have a ghost breaking things in your home. But there are some, like the Bell Witch I'm about to get into, that genuinely, like, will drive people out of their homes. Uh, Now, the issue with a poltergeist as opposed to a ghost as well is that they don't tend to be associated with haunting a place. They tend to be latched onto a person. Mm, Okay. Particularly, and I'll go more deeper into this, poltergeists tend to be linked to younger people, specifically people going through, like, puberty. Now, that's fascinating. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. They tend to be linked to teenagers being in the house. And there are a couple different potential explanations for this, but... Uh, It kind of, like, the discussions range from it being not actually a ghost and something created by, like, the energy coming off of the teen involved. Like, it's almost Mm, like... I'm having deja vu. Did we talk about this when we talked about Jeff? A little bit. Okay. Um, Because people discussed the idea of Jeff being a poltergeist. Right, right, right. Basically, yeah, if you haven't heard that episode or if you just want a refresher, there is a pocket of theory that poltergeists are not caused by an independent spirit, but by like the turmoil of adolescence and like a child with some kind of psychic ability exhibiting essentially telekinesis or like putting out such strong energy that it has a physical impact on the on the household. Mm-hmm. Did mention this briefly on yeah, on Jeff the Mongoose's episode. Uh, but yes, uh, poltergeists tend to be linked to younger people in the household. So you'll see that as a recurring pattern as I get into cases. That's enough of me just sort of going off the top of my dome. I'm going to actually go to my sources now. But I've been interested in poltergeists since I was a child, largely because of a book I had on ghosts, but also because of the first horror movie that I ever watched. I say watched loosely as I abandoned it about halfway through because I got too scared. And that is <laughs> the uh, like famous film Poltergeist. Mm-hmm. So Wikipedia defines a poltergeist uh, as the literal, like the German translation. Poltergeist translates, it means it, it's German for noisy ghost. Basically. Fair and valid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Noisy feel, ghosts or yeah, noisy Yeah, or noisy spirit. They're more active. They're more disruptive. I'll quote from the Wikipedia page here. A, t- a type of ghost or spirit that is responsible for physical disturbances, such as loud noises and objects being moved or destroyed. They are purportedly capable of pinching, biting, hitting, and tripping people. Most accounts of poltergeists also describe the movement or levitation of objects such as furniture and cutlery or noises such as knocking on doors. And I'll add right here that in poltergeist cases, occasionally you will also find stories of people levitating as if they are being picked up by something. Mm -hmm. That pops up in more than one case. Yeah, they tend to haunt a particular person as opposed to a location, which is why they're particularly difficult to get rid of because you can't just leave your house. That doesn't make it go away. It will if it will follow you. If there's one mm-hmm. latched onto a member of your family, leaving doesn't make it disappear. Um, <laughs> I was about to make a terrible joke. What were you gonna say? <laughs> I was gonna say it hurts nobody but me, but I was just gonna say tell that to my father. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> ah, um. Anyway, <laughs> there are a lot of theories about um what poltergeists might actually be caused by um and and a lot of one of the most prevailing theories from skeptics is just simply that as opposed to poltergeists being drawn to young people or being the result of energy coming off those people that it's just that when teenagers are feeling troubled they want attention or they act out so it's people mm-hmm. that that it's just kids acting out and trying to scare people that is kind of the prevailing skeptic take that you're going to see when you dig into poltergeist cases is essentially like people sort of writing it off as um, this is the kid acting out. There was one skeptic that literally referred to it as, and I'm sorry, I hate the wording of this, but it's what he called it. Um, <laughs> naughty little girl syndrome. Oh, no. Isn't that horrible? <laughs> it's really bad. Isn't that the worst thing? I will never repeat I don't that care phrase. for that. I shall not repeat it. <laughs> What phrase? No, it never, I don't know. I don't know what (laughs) phrase you could possibly mean. (laughs) This is uh, taken from livescience.com. And this is um, sort of uh, right here. Poltergeist activity centers on people and is often associated with the presence of children, leading many to suspect that childhood attention-seeking pranks are involved. Indeed, many poltergeist reports were proven to be faked by children and teenagers. 
and one well-known case of alleged poltergeist activity in the mid-1800s even led to the creation of an American religion. So I'm going to tell you, uh, what they're talking about is the beginning of the spiritualist movement Uh in America, which we've talked about before. But that is my Mm -hmm. segue into, friends, I would like to talk about one of the most famous poltergeist cases of all time. Uh, The first thing, I'm going to talk about some other smaller cases as well. But first, my initial subject for this episode, I want to talk about the Bell Witch. Do it, do it, do it. So the Bell Witch, (laughs) oh, I'm gonna. The Bell Witch or the Bell Witch Haunting, uh, it's a piece of, it's regarded as a piece of Southern United States folklore because some aspects, obviously many aspects of it have never been able to be verified. It happened in the 19th century uh, and it centered around the Bell family of Robertson County, Tennessee. Now I'm going to read largely from the uh, Wikipedia page for it actually to start and then I'll flip over to a different page. But yes, it centered around the family of John Bell Sr., who had made his living as a farmer and resided with his family along the Red River in an area currently near the town of Adams, Tennessee. Now, according to the legend, from 1817 to 1821, his family came under attack by an invisible entity that was able to speak and affect the physical environment. Some accounts record the spirit also have been clairvoyant and capable of crossing long distances with superhuman speed. Now, uh, there was a piece published about this uh, in 1894. Martin V. Ingram published Authenticated History of the Bell Witch, which was his book about it. It's regarded as the first Mm -hmm. full-length record of the story, and it's the primary source for basically any subsequent discussion of the Bell Witch. And... Basically, this includes, like, sort of reports and a few, like, interviews, first-person statements, and it's the sort of definitive text on the Bell Witch. Let me find... Right on. Well, that's um, handy and a rare gift in the R field. <laughs> right? In the introduction to the book, he published a letter dated July 1st, 1891, from former Tennessee State Representative James Allen Bell of Adairville, Kentucky, J.A. Bell, son of Richard Williams Bell and the grandson of John Bell Sr., as I mentioned, explained that his father had met with his brother, John Bell Jr., before his death, and they agreed that no material he had collected should be released until the last immediate family member of John Bell Sr. had died. So, the last immediate member of the family died in 1890 at the age of 76. So here's the little, with that context, here's the foreword to an authenticated history of the Bell Witch. Now, nearly 75 years having elapsed, the old members of the family who suffered the torments having all passed away, and the witch story still continues to be discussed as widely as the family name is known, under misconception of the facts, I have concluded that in justice to the memory of an honored ancestry, and to the public also whose minds have been abused in regard to the matter, it would be well to give the whole story to the world. That is like the most, like that's the rawest, most metal statement I've ever heard. Oh, isn't it so good? Um, to give this story to the world. Now, I, um, it, like, I'm not going to read too much from the actual, um, <laughs> like, from the actual initial, like, report. A lot of it's kind of, a, it's a lot to dig through. The initial mm-hmm. book's a lot to sort through. What I am going to do now is hop over to uh, liveabout.com or liveabout.com. I'm not really sure. Um <laughs> Uh, slash Paranormal and Ghosts, uh, a piece by Stephen Wagner called The Bell Witch. So this goes into the actual kind of the details of this particular haunting. Um, Give me the details. So here's another account uh, on The Bell Witch Haunting, written in 1886 by historian Albert Virgil Goodpasture in his History of Tennessee. This was a shorter one. That's why the book, like the book is considered to be like the main definitive one, but Mm -hmm. other people were writing about this. So cool. Here we go. A remarkable occurrence which attracted widespread interest was connected with the family of John Bell. So great was the excitement that people came from hundreds of miles around to witness the manifestations of, as, of what was popularly known as the Bell Witch. This witch was supposed to be some spiritual being having the voice and attributes of a woman. It was invisible to the eye, yet it would hold conversation and even shake hands with certain individuals. The freaks it performed were wonderful and seemingly designed to annoy the family. It would take the sugar from the bowls, spill the milk, take the quilts from the beds, slap and pinch the children, and then laugh at the discomfiture of its victims. At first it was supposed to be a good spirit, but its subsequent acts, together with the curses with which it supplemented its remarks, 
proved the contrary. A volume might be written concerning the performance of this wonderful being, as they are now described by contemporaries and their descendants. That all this actually occurred will not be disputed, nor will a rational explanation be attempted. So, details vary from version to version of the Bell Witch story, but the prevailing account is that it was the spirit of a woman named Kate Batts. Kate Batts was an old neighbor of John Bell's, who believed uh-huh. that he had like cheated her out of money in a land purchase. And old neighbor her- as in former neighbor or old neighbor as in a neighbor who is also like an elderly person? Both. <laughs> oh, cool. On her deathbed, she swore that she would haunt John Bell and all of his descendants. That's a big commitment. It's a very big commitment. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you need to put a limitation on yourself. Like, know what you can realistically handle. If that's two or three generations, fine. But to just say all of your descendants... Also, General Andrew Jackson arrived to investigate the Bell Witch. He literally, of all the strange, of all the people who came throughout the story, this one did as well. Um, the particular uh, quote about um, his encounter with it is Betsy Bell, who was the daughter who was targeted primarily by the spirit, screamed all night from the pinching and slapping she received from the witch, and Jackson's covers were ripped off as quickly as he could put them back on, and he, and his entire party of men were slapped, pinched, and had their hair pulled by the witch until morning, when Jackson and his men decided to hightail it out of Adams. Jackson was later quoted as saying, I'd rather fight the British in New Orleans than to have to fight the Bell Witch. <laughs> on this podcast we love and respect exactly one president who hunted cryptids and it was oh, yes. not andrew jackson oh 100 not but it is weird that there were two yeah right <laughs> isn't it just one of my favorite quotes from any piece of comedic material ever is um a throwaway joke from an episode of phineas and ferb where dr Schmertz says like if i had a nickel for every time like extremely specific circumstance happened I'd have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it is weird that it's happened more than once. Yeah. Um, Some more information on particularly Betsy Bell. Because the poltergeist uh, didn't just interfere with her life and make her miserable. It also, like, or didn't just make her miserable. It also interfered with her personal life. Mm -hmm. This right here, just to quickly, is a little bio from bellwitch.org, which is, of course, a website dedicated to the legend. So uh, this is a little bio of Elizabeth Betsy Bell. Uh, uh, from who lived from 1806 to 1888. So like her father, Elizabeth Bell suffered a great deal from Kate's, that's referring to the Bell Witch here, acts of physical abuse by having her hair pulled and getting slapped and pinched to the point that her face and arms covered with welts and bruises. Kate never Oof. gave a reason for her relentless abuse of Elizabeth, but her emphatic disapproval of Elizabeth's engagement to Joshua Gardner was no secret. Elizabeth broke off her engagement in the spring of 1821 after several years of Kate's ridicule finally took its toll. Basically, it seemed so much that like it was I've read different accounts of this as well. Like there are mm-hmm. feel free. I, re- I recommend to anyone who's more interested in, spe- in in like the specifics of the Bell Witch case to like read it about it on your own because there's a lot of stuff to sort through. But something you'll read in a lot of them is that after her fiance would visit like the the attacks would get worse. Like the the poltergeist would get more violent, would get more aggressive. Wild. Um, essentially being like, yeah, implying that like she was being punished for being engaged to this particular man. And obviously also if you couldn't pick up Betsy is the was the young person who was primarily targeted and that it seemed as if this thing had latched onto. So she eventually married uh Professor Richard Powell in March of 1824. And that one worked out, it seems like, pretty okay. (laughs) Yeah, like, she eventually married again. And then she also was implicated by different publications as being the culprit of the Bell Witch. Uh, Mm -hmm. Most notably, the Saturday Evening Post published a story in 1849 that basically said that she had faked the whole thing for attention. Uh, she threatened legal action if the statements weren't retracted, and a public apology and retraction appeared in a later edition of the Post. So, I feel like that's actually extremely impressive. Like, yeah, that she was able to get those turned around. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, yeah, I imagine she was. Yeah, I, I can't imagine like how how angry you would be. Like, really, you're going to tell me I faked this ghost that ruined my life? Well, yeah, seriously. But just, I'm saying, in order for her to, like, sort of single-handedly say... Oh, yeah. Like, you're going to retract... Because I'm once that's out there, like, it's actually very difficult for something like that to go, you know... Oh, no, absolutely. 
Now, before I hop away from the Bell Witch into some other lesser known uh, stories, I think I'm just going to, I've been jumping around a bit. I realized, like, I I have a tendency to do this accidentally when I know the details of something I'm covering Uh on here more than other people might know them, as I just assume people know stuff. Um, Or, like, assume I I know nothing. Yes, <laughs> this is fair. Pretend that you are a man on the internet, and I am me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to. <laughs> um, I just want to read a little bit of the brief, like, kind of general overview of the, the legend in its fullness from bellwitch.org. There's a page specifically yeah, for the legend. So here we go. Now, this is, again, one of many versions. I already mentioned when a story is this old and has been retold this many times... It starts to get a little bit murky, but let's just, for all intents and purposes, pretend that this version is the right one. (laughs) Okay. On one day in 1817, John Bell was inspecting his cornfield when he encountered a strange-looking animal sitting in the middle of a corn row. Shocked by the appearance of this animal, which had the body of a dog and the head of a rabbit, Bell shot several times. The animal vanished. Bell thought nothing more about the incident, at least not until after dinner. That evening, the Bells began hearing beating sounds on the outside walls of their log home. The mysterious sounds continued with increased frequency and force each night. Bell and his sons often hurried outside to catch the culprit, but always returned empty-handed. In the weeks that followed, the Bell children began waking up frightened, complaining that rats were gnawing at their bedposts. Not long after that, The children began complaining of having their bed covers pulled from them and their pillows tossed onto the floor by a seemingly invisible entity. As time went on, the bells began hearing faint whispering voices, which were too weak to understand, but sounded like a feeble old woman singing. The encounters escalated and the bells' youngest daughter, Betsy, began experiencing brutal encounters with the invisible entity. It would pull her hair and slap her relentlessly, leaving welts and handprints on her face and body. The disturbances, which John Bell told his family to keep a secret, eventually escalated to such a point that he decided to share his troubles with his closest friend and neighbor, James Johnston. Johnston and his wife spent the night in the Bell house, where they were subjected to the same terrifying disturbances that the Bells had experienced. After having his bed covers removed and being slapped repeatedly, Johnston sprang out of bed, exclaiming, In the name of the Lord, who are you and what do you want? There was no response but the remainder of the night was relatively peaceful. The entity's voice strengthened over time to the point that it was loud and unmistakable. It sang hymns, quoted scripture, carried on conversation, and once even quoted word for word two sermons that were preached at the same time on the same day, 13 miles apart. And then it does mention that the Andrew Jackson coming in, all of his his whole encounter with that, and then various attempts of people to either uh, debunk or cast out the spirit, but to no avail. Now, here we go, the Joshua Gardner thing. Um, They decided to marry, but the entity, for reasons unknown to this day, repeatedly told Betsy not to marry Joshua Gardner. Hmm. Yep. Anyway, John Bell passed away uh, in 1820, and supposedly when uh, (laughs) he passed away... There was, the family found a small vial of unidentified liquid in the cupboard. The entity spoke up, exclaiming joyfully, I gave old Jack a big dose of that last night, which fixed him. What? Yeah, like the ghost poisoned him, is the implication there. No, I got that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't that I didn't understand, it was that I did, and I was horrified by the implications. It is very troubling. It is very troubling. (laughs) Also, um, the entity didn't go away, which tells me that it wasn't latched on to John himself, but rather to the family and probably to Betsy. On April of, in April of 1821, the entity visited John Bell's widow, Lucy, and told her that it would return for a visit in seven years. The entity returned in 1828 as promised. Most of its visit centered around John Bell Jr., with whom the the entity discussed things such as the origin of life, civilizations, Christianity, and the need for a mass spiritual awakening. Yep. Wow. Also, the entity is still blamed for unexplainable manifestations that occur near the old farm to this day. The faint sounds of... Well, yeah, if you have an entity that everybody, like, sort of universally accepts exists, mm-hmm. then you're going to blame everything on that entity. Oh, yeah. The faint sounds of people talking and children playing, uh, the sight of candle lights in the dark field late at night, 
Photography is especially difficult. Some pictures taken there show mist, orbs of light, other phenomena, including human-like figures who were not present when the pictures were taken. The cause of the bell's torment almost 200 years ago, as well as today's horrid, unexplainable manifestations, remains a mystery. Numerous theories abound, but there is no one theory that is universally agreed upon by bell witch enthusiasts and researchers, and there probably never will be. Different people have different standards of proof. Most do agree that there was something very wrong at the Red River Settlement in the early 1800s, and there may very well be something wrong there today. Dun, dun, dun. Right? Uh, anyway... You might have noticed, too, that some of the Bell Witch lore does differ from some of the classic poltergeist stuff that I mentioned, so that's also why it's debated as even being a poltergeist, but it also is regarded as one of the most famous poltergeist hauntings of all time, so I was not about- What percentage of poltergeists roughly, um, poison people? Um, as far as I can tell, not many. (laughs) Yeah, that one seemed like kind of an outlier. But they are able to- interact with like physical objects the way that other ghosts mm-hmm. are not described as being able to. So I guess if any kind of spirit can poison somebody, it's a poltergeist. Fair and valid. Anyway, yeah, that's all I'm going to really dive into on the Bell Witch for now, just because it's a bit of a messy subject to cover because there are so many. It, it's like both there's a lot, but there's also not very much. There's only the one story, but there are like infinite variations on the story that everyone claims are the correct one. Um, mm-hmm. Sure. So anyway, from a uh, Live about or live about, same website I mentioned before, dot com. We have three famous poltergeist cases that will creep you out by Stephen Wagner. Uh, this is from January 11th, 2019. First one I want to talk about is the Thornton Heath poltergeist. This was in the 1970s in Thornton Heath, England. A family was tormented by poltergeist phenomena that started one August night when they were woken in the middle of the night by a blaring bedside radio that had turned itself on, tuned to a foreign language station. So a station that that wasn't turned to previously. Um, This was the beginning of a string of events that lasted for nearly four years. Wow. A lampshade was repeatedly knocked to the floor by unaided hands. During the Christmas season of 1972, an ornament was hurled across the room, smashing into the husband's forehead. A report claims as he flops into the armchair, the Christmas tree began to shake violently. Come the new year, there were- No, not the Christmas tree. I know. Come the new year, there were footsteps in the bedroom when there was no one there. And one night, the couple's son awoke to find a man in old-fashioned dress staring threateningly at him. Family's fear grew when, as they entertained friends one night, there was a loud knocking at the front door. The living room door was then flung open and all the house lights came on. Oh, dramatic. Mm -hmm. They had the house blessed, but it failed to do anything. Objects continued to fly through the air. There were loud noises late at night. Sometimes they would hear a noise which suggested that a large piece of furniture had fallen onto the floor. And when they went to investigate, there wouldn't be anything out of place. There was a medium who was consulted and told the family that the house was haunted by a farmer named Chatterton, who considered the family trespassers on his property. An investigation bore out the fact that Chatterton had indeed lived in the house in the mid-18th century. Chatterton's wife now joined in causing mayhem, and often the tenant's wife would be followed up the stairs at night by an elderly gray-haired woman wearing a pinafore and with her hair tied back in a bun. If looked at, she would disappear back into the shadows. Now, this one, I don't know if it actually is a poltergeist or just a really aggressive haunting, because after they moved out of the house, it did stop. So take that as you will. Mm, okay. And that's a thought the- occurs. Huh? I said a thought occurs. Uh-huh. So I don't think that people getting their houses blessed anymore is like so much a common occurrence, which leads me to wonder, you know, those like signs that everybody makes fun of that are like live, laugh, love signs, but they're like the bless this home or bless this house or bless this mess or whatever. Uh-huh. Are those like effective against poltergeists? Do those work? Do they count? Or just like ghosts and spiritual like hauntings in general? Do you think one of those is like a safeguard? That's a very good question, actually. Does a bless this mess needle point protect you against poltergeists? Um, I'm going to go ahead and say a strong maybe. I don't want to be the reason somebody endangers themselves to poltergeists because they thought the bless this mess needle point would protect them. <laughs> but, you know. Well, yeah, that's fair. I will say a strong maybe. The next case on this list is one of my other favorite hauntings of all time, which is a weird thing to say, but uh, I was a creepy kid. Um, 
but uh, the Enfield Poltergeist case or the Enfield Haunting. Mm, um, yeah. I've talked about this on the show before. It's one of my favorite hauntings. So I'm just going to hit it really briefly because I don't want to be too repetitive. But this was another English ghost in Enfield, North London in 1977. This was centered, this activity was centered around the daughter of Peggy Harper. Her name was Janet. She was 11 years old at the time. So about the right age group for this sort of activity. I talked about it being like very much like a pubescent era kind of thing, like either teenagers or preteens. So uh, Janet and her brother Pete complained that their beds were jolting up and down and going all funny. That's the quote. Sorry, let me do that in my British child voice. Jolting up and down and going all funny. It was going all funny for a bit. As soon as their mother got to the room, the movements would stop. So she assumed they were making it up at first. Then things got weirder. (laughs) Noises, knocks on the wall, a heavy chest of drawers sliding itself across the floor. She promptly got her children out of the house and sought the assistance of a neighbor. Um, The neighbor searched the house and garden but found no one. Soon they also heard the knocks on the walls, which continued at spaced out intervals. They called the police, and one officer heard the knocks, and another even saw a chair inexplicably move across the floor, and later signed a written statement to confirm the events. Several other people were witness to the events that happened in the following days. There were Lego bricks and marbles that were thrown around the house and were hot to the touch when picked up. In September of that year, Maurice Gross of the Society for Physical, or not physical, for psychical research came to investigate. He claimed to see strange happenings, a marble being thrown at him, doors opening and closing by themselves. And he claimed to feel a sudden breeze that moved up from his, from, up from his feet to his head. Ooh. Mm-hmm. There were uh, other, there was more knocking on the floors and the walls. Uh, there also have been reports of, um, there were reports of Janet levitating. Um, there are some photographs actually from the haunting that, if I'm being honest, they could be just really well-timed pictures of her jumping in the air, mm-hmm. or they could be pictures of her being levitated, but they do exist. Um, there are photographs from the from the haunting. Now, despite this documentation, much controversy surrounds the case. Skeptics claim that basically Janet was orchestrating the whole thing for attention because the poltergeist activity always stopped when she was watched closely and when she was taken to a hospital for several days to be text to be tested for physical abnormality the phenomena ceased in the house so that could mean one of two things it could mean janet was faking it or it could mean that the poltergeist was fixated on janet so when she left the house the phenomena left the house also you know Um, what here's something that i think we have to talk about uh uh-huh People like to use this, you're just doing it for attention, as, like, a way to write off any number of behaviors, right? Which, like, first of all, it's possible that that's not even true, right? It is a way that is used to dismiss a lot of uh, conditions or a lot of experiences, especially experiences in certain groups of people. Oh, yeah. However, if we are going on the assumption, like, if we are willing to accept for fact for a moment... The fact that someone is, quote unquote, doing something for attention. One, if someone needs attention so desperately that they are willing to fake a haunting, like, somewhat convincingly, then you should give them attention. I agree. Two, if someone is, like, faking an extremely convincing, high-quality haunting for attention, that deserves attention. By the way, this is something this particular source doesn't hit on, but Janet was observed to when she, there were moments when the entity would quote unquote speak through Janet. And I've talked about Mm -hmm. this. uh, I don't think I've talked about it on the show. I talked about it in a live stream, but she was speaking in this other voice, this very gravelly sounding voice. Mm, And we've talked about this. Yes. And yes. And and, and, and I'm obsessed with this. And if you haven't heard this episode, if you, if you have heard me say this, I'm sorry for being redundant, but I yell about this all the time because I think it's fascinating. She was when she was speaking in this voice, she was speaking from her false vocal folds, which are something that ventriloquists and other like performers use. Uh, but you are usually not able to use them for very long. They get tired very quickly. It's not like a sustainable thing. And she was, mm-hmm. if the reports are to be believed, maintaining this voice for like like an hour at a time, which shouldn't be physically possible. So at the very mm-hmm. least, like all supernatural stuff aside, this 11 year old girl was like a weirdly brilliant like, con artist and a ventriloquism prodigy. Yeah, right? Which is almost a more interesting story than a poltergeist. (laughs) And either way, deserves attention. Yeah, like, can people pay attention to Janet, please? Anyway, all of that just to be having said, like, someone quote-unquote doing something for attention does not inherently render that thing valueless or that behavior meaningless. 
I'm done. No, I agree. Um, I'd like to hop over to a listicle from the lineup, um, which has some overlap with the one I just read, but I'd like to talk about a couple of those before we move on. The South Shields Poltergeist. This is a slightly more recent one. This is in 2005. This was a family of three that began experiencing poltergeist activity. Uh, First, it was doors opening and closing on their own, which is a pretty common starting place. Sounds coming from the walls, furniture moving around the room, chairs being Mm -hmm. found stacked on top of each other, and large heavy pieces of furniture being discovered, like displaced from one room to another. Basically, large pieces of furniture that one person wouldn't have been able to just move on their own as a fun joke, being discovered uh-huh. in, the, in the wrong room. So it quickly escalated to some too dangerous. One night as the young couple was settling into bed, a projectile hit Marianne in the head. That's the wife. It was their son's toy dog. The son was nowhere in sight, and there was no one apparently there to have thrown it. The couples were bewildered. A few moments later, another stuffed toy hit Marianne, but with greater force. The couple reported an onslaught of toys after this, pelting them from all directions. They tried to hide beneath the blanket, but they felt an unseen force pulling it away from them. Mark then cried out in pain. Thirteen red scratch marks were found on his back. The attack stopped as quickly as it had begun, but the couple was left horribly frazzled. And then the poltergeist, no joke, in the most horror movie move of all time, developed an affinity for frightening the couple with their, chil- with the- their son's toys. On one occasion, they found the rocking horse, their son's toy rocking horse, hanging by its reins from the ceiling loft hatch. In another, a toy bunny was sitting on top of the stairs holding a box cutter. No! Yeah! No! (laughs) So they reached out to two paranormal researchers, Mike Hollowell and Darren Ritson. They were not very sold on the claims because this, you asked asked about this, uh, like how common is the more violent kind of poltergeist activity? Mm -hmm. It's, it's considered to be pretty rare that it's this level of violence. It's normally sticks to just like noises and stuff being moved around. So mm-hmm. they were skeptical because of the violence of the case. So they went to their house and set up their equipment. The paranormal activity in the home exploded. Toys flew around. Unexplained bangs filled the home. Voices came from a baby monitor. That's the scariest oh. thing to me. I had to say something. I had to yell it because that's one of it's a horror trope and it always freaks me out like nothing else. Their gear was turned on and off or broken. Doors opened and slammed. Blankets slid off beds. Objects levitated. Strange messages appeared on pieces of paper. And various objects were caught balancing at strange angles. Cap it off. The investigators captured a recording of the entity attacking Mark. Deep red gashes appeared on his back, thickening in color until the skin broke and he bled. Oof. Then the house went quiet after the investigation and hasn't seen anything since. Well, that's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. There's another famous poltergeist that a lot of people have probably heard of. This and I've, I've talked about on the show loosely. It's the Black Monk of Pontefract. It is. Um, it was a, an entity that haunted the Pritchard family in 1966. Mm-hmm. It was a, a white powder would fall from the air. Wet puddles would manifest on the kitchen floor, and it started very much as a light-hearted kind of haunting. Um, it was, uh, basically like weird, like green foam would come out of the bathroom taps, uh, potted plants would, uh, would come out of their pots. There was a pair of women's gloves that would animate and like move around as if being worn by an invisible person. So like weird stuff, but nothing really that violent. Mm-hmm. But then during the last few years, the family spent at the house, it began to get more aggressive. Things would lift into the air and crash to the ground. And uh, there would be these really like this loud banging on the floorboards. And famously, a bunch of crosses on the walls were flipped upside down. So they brought in a priest. Yeah, they brought in a priest who performed exorcisms. Did not seem to do anything. Seemed to just make the ghost angrier. And then it became, uh, it appeared once as an entity that looked like a cloaked shadow floating over a bed. And that's where its description of the black monk came from. So like a monk in a black cloak. Uh, and then the activity eventually ceased, and that was that. Talk about the upside down crosses reminds me. I have um, somewhere, and I've been meaning to get these up on the Patreon forever. It has just taken like, you know, I was freelancing, and then I was literally moving and starting a new job, and now we're in an actual pandemic, and I'm still working. So like, headspace is not there. But I have a series of tapes, and I've talked about this before. I know from when I did like oral history interviews in high school with yeah. some um, people I knew who had ghost stories. One of them is a very freaky poltergeist story. Oh, really? Yeah. Pretty pretty wild stuff. Um, I would love to get my hands on that. 
Yeah, I don't remember enough of the details to like faithfully retell it here. No, totally. Having to make some stuff up and fill out some gaps, but I do have it. I have the tapes. Like I'm looking at them right now, and oh, I cool. have um, thanks to the generosity of one of our um, longtime listeners and fans, Gracie. Um, I have a cassette to MP3 converter, so like I will get them up at some point. Totally. on Patreon. I just haven't done it yet, but... Um, uh, I was going to say, it's also okay that you don't remember the details because I'm realizing that I've done the thing to myself where I over-research and I have too many things I want to talk about. So I'm now trying to like, bam, 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 hit as many things as I can. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, <laughs> you're fine. Um, the last case on this particular article uh, before I move to my next couple things and then close us off with some Reddit stories is Esther Cox's poltergeist. And this is one, another one targeting a young woman in particular. This was Esther Cox was a 19-year-old who lived in a tiny cottage in Nova Scotia, Canada. The family was living peacefully when one night screams woke the entire household. The adults rushed to the room where Esther and her sister Jenny shared a bed. The girls claimed to have seen something moving under their covers. They thought it was a mouse, but a search of the room turned up nothing. The following night, there were more screams. They claimed to have heard strange noises coming from the fabric box beneath the bed. When they brought the box to the center of the room for examination, it jumped into the air and landed on its side. The girls righted the box, only to watch it jump up and topple over again. Up until this moment, all of the stuff they had reported was attributed to their imaginations. It changed Mm -hmm. on the third night. Esther went to bed early, saying she didn't feel well, and Jenny joined her a few moments later. After being in bed for a few minutes, Esther jumped to the center of the room and began tearing at her nightclothes, screaming, My God, what's happening to me? I'm dying. Uh, she, Yikes. Jenny lit a lamp and saw her sister's skin was bright red and swollen. All of their other sister rushed to the room and helped Jenny get back to bed, and then it seemed like Esther was being choked and fighting to breathe. I don't like that. Mm Mm-hmm. There was under the bed a deafening bang that shook the entire room. Three more loud noises were reported from the bed before Esther's choking subsided and she went to sleep. So, unsure what to do, they called the family doctor, Dr. I don't know how to say this. C-A-R-R-I-T-T-E. I I want to say Karit. Karit. The doctor. They called the doctor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He heard the loud noises from under the bed. He watched Esther's pillow move without being touched and her clothes were thrown around the room. The scariest aspect of these encounters, though, was the letters etched into the wall above the bed reading, Esther Cox, you are mine to kill. Yikes! Yes. The poltergeist trailed Esther wherever she went. In an attempt to spare her family, she moved across town to work at a farm, but the farmhouse burnt down shortly after her arrival. She was accused of arson by the farmer and was convicted to serve four months, but was released after just one. After her release from prison, the tormentings seemed to fade away. No explanation. They simply stopped. And that's that one. Wild. Yeah, isn't it just? Now, what I'd mm-hmm. like to hop to in sort of a weird turn, uh, I've got two kind of quote, two quote unquote explanations of poltergeists, one of which is an explanation that's still very much a supernatural one. And the other one that is genuinely a scientific explanation of like certain things that might make people feel as though their houses are haunted. So, okay, well, also interesting. Yes, so one's a, one's from a, still a supernatural kind of believer place and the other one's... So I've got a Mulder and I've got a Scully. Okay. <laughs> Sweet. We love both here. So NewScientist.com has a piece by Zia Morali and it's called They're Here, The Mechanism of Poltergeist Activity. And essentially this is talking about how children and young people generate poltergeist energy. That's... Literally, like, um, I just love the phrase poltergeist energy. I don't know why that's funny. BPE, big poltergeist energy. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, Piero Brevetto, whose last known address was the Instituto Fisica Superiore in Cagliari, Italy, um, and his colleague Vera Maxia wanted to explain the origin of poltergeist phenomenon. So, this is a quote from from a paper by these two authors Poltergeist disturbances often occur in the neighborhood of a prepubescent child or a young woman, the author notes in their paper. So they've come up with a mechanism to explain how these young people create this phenomenon. Uh, Like so many problems that arise in adolescence, puberty gets the blame. Puberty is a modification of the child body, which involves various organs, chiefly the brain, they state. So here's the hypothesis. This header of this section says it all. Teenage telekinesis. Brevetto and Maxia hypothesize that the changes in the brain that occur at puberty involve fluctuations in electron activity that, in rare cases, can create disturbances up to a few meters around the outside of the brain. 
These disturbances would be similar in character to the quantum mechanical fluctuations that physicists believe occur in which virtual particle and antiparticle pairs pop up for a fleeting moment before they annihilate each other and disappear again. Basically, they believe that puberty creates this excess energy coming off the brain that has basically like little quantum whoopsies that make stuff happen. I mean, listen, as a preteen, I also believed this and it is definitely why I spent many hours trying to make it happen. I did too. I did too. We all did. <laughs> we all did. Everyone believes and knows this. Brevetto and Maxia believe that the extra fluctuations triggered by the pubescent brain would substantially enhance the presence of the virtual particles surrounding the person. This could slowly increase the pressure of air around them, moving objects and even sending them hurtling across the room. Now, uh, they did contact uh, Brian Josephson, a Nobel laureate physicist who's on the editorial board of Neuro... Oh my God, I'm not a scientist. Neuroquantology. And Josephson commented on this research... This looks distinctly flaky to me. (laughs) (laughs) I will also say, I'm not hitting on this in in detail, but uh, that another connection to the sort of like puberty energy thing is that still relates more to the poltergeist being independent spirits is the idea that poltergeists aren't created by puberty or these things, but are drawn to the energy and the conflict and, like, the turmoil of those things and, like, feed on it almost. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's also why they just go away at a certain point without reason. It's essentially, like, it's almost like the person ages out of poltergeist season. <laughs> Interesting. Like, in a couple other cases, like, you'll find them a lot where, like, the thing will happen for a long time and then they don't go anywhere necessarily. It doesn't go away. But, like, in a co- after a couple years, it just stops. And the only thing that's really changed is that the people being targeted have gotten older. Also, the other, the, the, the more scientific explanation. And this one is a blog on comsol.com, which is actually like, like a website with like tech briefs and things like that okay, on cool. it. But um, mm-hmm. this is a little, I won't read the whole thing because it gets into like a lot of technical jargon that I don't feel up to like discussing. I'm not a scientist, but... Uh, this is uh-huh. a piece by Brianne Christopher from 2017, and it says, it's called, Is That a Ghost? Vibroacoustic Explanations for False Poltergeists. So, false poltergeist is what you call a poltergeist that has been debunked by a scientist. When a scientist debunks a suspected poltergeist, it's then referred to as a false poltergeist. Interesting, okay. Explaining false poltergeists with vibroacoustics. In the article, Things That Go Bump in the Night, The Physics of False Poltergeists, Roman Vinegar discusses common vibroacoustic phenomena that are mistaken for ghosts and supernatural entities. There's something called Helmholtz resonance. And the most basic example of a Helmholtz resonator is a glass bottle with a narrow opening. When you hold the bottle up to your lips and blow perpendicular to its opening, it makes a humming sound. A room with an open window or door can act as a Helmholtz resonator. When airflow passes through an opening in the room, it excites Helmholtz resonance. The natural frequency of Helmholtz resonance depends on the room's volume, thickness of walls, and the area of the opening. But if it falls within the range of infrasound, this can cause creepy sounds in the audible range. So unexplained sounds in the room that make you feel a sense of dread. Helmholtz resonance can be excited by sound waves propagating from an internal or external noise source. So thunder can reverberate in small rooms and can sound like a crashing sound that isn't coming from outside. So things like that can can happen. Yeah. Acoustics are so fascinating. Now, this one I love. I'm not going to read the rest of the piece, but... um, because Helmholtz, I just wanted to talk about Helmholtz, oh my god, Helmholtz resonance. But this particular one I like here, the Sound and Vibrations article cited here mentions a building that was rumored to be haunted. In actuality, the only thing haunting the building was revenge. The workers who built the apartment... <laughs> I'm sorry, the, that sentence. No, it's so good. The workers who built the apartment were scammed by the owner who hired them. So to get revenge, they embedded gla- empty glass bottles in the roof of the building, which acted like as Helmholtz resonators and wind passing through their openings at night caused tenants to hear roaring sounds at a frequency of 100 hertz. Oh my gosh. So it it created this like really creepy sound that was just the wind flowing through these empty glass bottles. Other culprits of creepy sounds late at night or just in the house in general um, are uh, mechanical resonance um, and something called attenuating sound, Mm -hmm. which has to do with uh, basically like this thing called a the canyon effect, which 
Basically, I'll read this bit as well. The way skyscrapers are arranged in cities can form street canyons, also called urban canyons, which manipulate sound propagation. So it, the canyon effect neg neglects sound absorption in air and solid surfaces. So when propagating in a canyon, a sound wave's energy doesn't follow the usual distance law for open spaces. In a canyon, the pressure amplitude decreases inversely to the square root of, this is the technical stuff, but basically, uh -huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. basically, sound can travel longer distances in canyons with less attenuation than in open environments. So mm -hmm. if you're living in multi-story buildings in areas that have created urban canyons, you're going to be able to hear sounds that you normally wouldn't be able to. They're too far away from you to hear them. So you'll, for example, be able to hear you're on the upper level of a building, a conversation as if it's happening close to you that is coming from a lower floor or somewhere outside. And it can feel like there are whispers inside your apartment. Yeah. Acoustics are really fascinating. Yeah. I, um, I didn't take a, a strictly acoustics class, but I took a, in a course long or a semester long course in college that was on recording systems and technology. And so one of the things that it was a, a wild class, uh, very intense, but like, I just remember spending like an hour every day just like reading through this textbook because of the sheer amount of science and information we had to understand for this course. And like, the stuff that I learned was truly wild, like noise does not work at all in the ways that you think it does. And the impact that it has on your everyday life is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And as much as I like to be the Mulder and be like, ghosts are real, and that's happening. I also am very fascinated by things on the scullier side, like the physics of sound mm -hmm. and how the simplest thing, like just the fact that you live in a city where the buildings have created like an urban canyon, so to speak, can make you end up hearing what sound like whispers coming from inside your own house mm -hmm. that are really just outside. And the structure of the buildings has like created this weird ability for the sound to reach you when it shouldn't be able to. <laughs> Or I just, and I have, and I've talked about, we've talked about infrasound on the podcast before, and I'm so fascinated with infrasound, but mm -hmm. basically, yeah, certain res, like a certain resonance of sound creates a feeling of dread in the human, yeah, yeah in, in human beings. It's very interesting, but yeah, I wanted to toss I'm that related. in there. I think the creepiest sound that exists, uh -huh. it's a sound that you hear in horror movies a lot, and I had no idea what made it for the longest time until, I'm going to tell another quick college story and then I'll be done, I promise. No, it's fine, do it. <laughs> This is what all my college stories are. I don't have any, like, ones about going to parties or anything. My college stories are stuff like, when we performed for a film festival and did an entire program on the music of Marco Beltrami, um, who, if you don't know, Marco Beltrami's done some, like, really phenomenal film scoring, including Snowpiercer. Yeah, I love Snowpiercer. Marco Beltrami did the, the scoring for Snowpiercer. Um, and uh, Hellboy and a few other movies that are, like, fairly, fairly big name. Um, but Snowpiercer is the one that's relevant right now because that specific sound that kind of sounds like almost like resonant glass or resonant metal. I don't know how to explain it. It's kind of like oh. not quite shrieky, but it's it's very, very eerie and it doesn't sound like anything human. That's... It's the sound of a large like um, string bass bow or cello mm. bow being run along the edge of a pitch percussion instrument. So like a, a vibraphone or a xylophone. It, it produces like an absolutely unearthly sound. And it's a sound that, like, you hear all the time in horror scoring and, like, specifically sound design. Mm -hmm. But there's not, like, a real-world equivalent for it. And so you may not have even ever picked up on it. Listen mm -hmm. for it next time you're listening to a horror movie. It's really interesting. But that's what makes that sound. And, like, listening to it live, like, in this piece that we were performing was, like, the wildest thing. It shivers down my spine every time. Wait, that's so cool. But, but, but mm -hmm. side note, I was, I literally just did a presentation, um last week for a class about how post-production uh, uh, like, creates tension and fear in horror films. And I had a section mm -hmm. on sound. And what that's called is nonlinear sound. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Do you know and, the, um, the elephant roar in Jurassic Park? Yeah. That one's wild. That was like one of the funnest little weird examples of sound design to me. But like that high-pitched, like kind of squealy, screamy sound, uh -huh. that's nonlinear sound and we react to it. There have been studies about how we react to sounds in that range as opposed to uh, infrasound it's like the other another version of it because they like invoke the theory is that they invoke the, the, the like response of hearing like a scream or like a shriek uh -huh. of an animal and like it turns our fight or flight on yeah yeah, yeah. Um, because we don't know what it is and we don't know where it's coming from but it sounds like danger um anyway really quick some stories from reddit and then we will bring it all to a, little cl a close to a bring it all on home i talked out of the side of my mouth for that like i i don't know i felt like it made me like like cool and casual i get it I feel it. So uh, I have a poltergeist experience uh, from a user on r slash paranormal. So 
All right, so I want to share my only experience I had with a poltergeist. I was on holiday with my family at my grandparents' house. I must have been 10 or 11 years old. So when me and my family go to our grandparents, we often aren't the only ones visiting. My uncles and their families also often visit my grandparents at the same time. So basically, I get to see my whole family. Because of that, it almost never happens that I'm left, that I'm at home alone. But there was one night when I got left alone because of two emergencies. Basically, uh, the grandmother and the aunt both had to go to the hospital. Um, oh my gosh. And yeah, they don't go into the details. I don't know what, we don't know what happened. But basically, I was sick, they say. So I told them I wasn't feeling healthy enough to go on the drive. Um, my grandfather told me that the dog would keep me safe if something happened and then got the whole family out of the house. After they left, I got on my PlayStation and played some racing game. And then after some time, I heard my dog barking outside. At first, I thought she was barking at the moon or something, since she does that from time to time. Uh After about, I just like that. After about 15 minutes, I went outside to check up on her to see if she was hungry. But she was right outside barking at the living room that was next to the room I was playing in. I tried to calm her down and get her some treats and water. But she just looked at me and let out a very small cry and then kept barking at the living room. I left her to do that since she didn't want to listen to me and I wasn't that bothered about it. I got back on my PlayStation and tried to get back in the zone. But after 10 minutes or so, I heard some very loud noises coming from the room next door. My dog stopped barking and just started crying out for me. I went outside to go get her and checked out what the hell just happened. And when I looked inside, I saw something that made my heart stop. The couches were flipped back or stood at random places where they shouldn't be. Chairs were broken, paintings on the ground, and some of the light bulbs were shattered. I closed the door and ran into my grandparents' room and waited for them to get home. As soon as they got home, I tried to tell my mom what had happened, but she just told me that I'm in big trouble for what I did to the place. I tried to convince her that it wasn't me, but she didn't want to listen. The weird thing is that my family never never spoke to me about that night again. I expected for someone to ask me why I effed up the living room or why I did what I did, but not a single person mentioned that night again. Either they believed me and realized that a 10-year-old kid wouldn't be able to F up a room that bad, or they were really mad at me and didn't want me to keep lying. That's the thing that's such a bummer about poltergeist going after kids is, like, people don't listen to children. Yeah. Gives us no shortage of material for YA novels, though. Oh, it's very true. And Goosebumps books. True that. This one is um, a haunting, uh, also from a user on Our Paranormal. This is, I think I have a poltergeist. And this is a very short one, but... They say, uh, just recently I've been noticing some pretty strange and amazing stuff that I think may be a poltergeist. It started with small things going missing, like USB cards or or gaming miniatures that would reappear at some later time. Then I noticed taps being turned on full blast when I was alone. Anyway, the last best three things to have happened are these. One, a cloth used to keep a World War I medal wrapped up to prevent perishing was left on my bed that I found when I got home from work. There was nobody there to do that. Two, I witnessed a shoe hurl itself across the room. I had people with me when that happened. Three, last night as I lay in bed, I watched the pillow next to me move on its own. It moved slowly and was being pulled from behind the bed and towards the mattress. I just lay there calm but watched it happen. I was initially scared but soon became intrigued. Any advice on how to verify it is a poltergeist and not something else? Also, any advice on realistically gathering evidence or something that may provoke it into action for a camera? Thanks. Oh, and then, by the way, the first one of the first suggestions in the comments, uh, and this is a real thing, is someone making sure that they have a carbon monoxide detector in the house. Ooh, yeah. Because there have been, there's actually a TED talk about it by Carrie Poppy of Ono, Ross, and Carrie. There have been situations where people have thought their house was haunted because of things like a feeling of dread and like a feeling of something sitting on their Mm. chest. And it was carbon monoxide poisoning. So... Yeah, that's nothing to mess around with. We had a carbon monoxide leak in my house when I was growing up, Mm -hmm. um, and it's we didn't have anything like that serious, thank God. Um, But it does like cause all sorts of health issues. Like it's Mm -hmm. wild. It definitely contributed to like chronic migraines that I had when I was growing up, and like all sorts of problems that my mom had with her health. So yeah, I have one more story from Reddit, and then we can take it all home. Uh, This one is another one from Our Paranormal, uh, and this is just titled Poltergeist. So, a little backstory. I grew up in southeast Kentucky, and my parents were in the military. One went to Iraq, then came back, and the other one got deployed within a year to Afghanistan. My parents were not the best parents. Uh, And then they mentioned a little backstory about it being kind of a tumultuous household, that they were like, the parents were cheating on each other, and there was a lot of Mm -hmm. just kind of unrest in the house. But uh, here we go. When I was 10, uh, when when my dad was gone, after my mom came back, it reached its peak. 
So she would go out to bars and leave me and my brother at home. One night she was home and for some reason I was terrified to go into my room. So I asked if I could sleep in my mom's room while she watched TV in the living room. She said, okay. And so I went in and climbed into bed and started hearing this noise, like a clicking noise. I looked over to what I thought was the origin, my mom's closet. I felt uncomfortable, so I went out of the room and tried to play it off like I wasn't tired yet, but my mom made me go back in. As soon as I got in the bed and looked over at the closet, one of her shoes was floating a foot and a half off the ground. I jumped out of my bed. Oh my gosh. I jumped out of my bed and scrambled out of the room so fast. I told my mom what happened, and she said she would come lay with me until I went to sleep. Pretty sure she thought I was just being a kid, you know, monsters under the bed kind of deal. Then she started hearing the clicking, too. She got freaked out and made my brother sleep in the room with us for everyone's safety. The clicking continued, and we felt really uncomfortable and unsafe. We finally fell asleep after we all prayed continuously. In the middle of the night, my mom had to use the restroom, so she turned on the light to her ensuite bathroom. The light bulb blew up, sending glass everywhere. Almost immediately, a wind rushed down the hallway and knocked all the pictures off the walls. Then, silence. There were no doors or windows open, the air wasn't on, and it was, to this day, the strangest thing that has ever happened to me. I think, oh. I think all of that built-up emotion from everyone in the house compounded and created this phenomena, this poltergeist. The house was quiet after that, but our family's struggles continued. Until it broke apart for the better and everyone moved on. But that's another example like that these things supposedly do like circulate around like emotional turmoil and like conflict. I just, yeah, thought that that was a, an interesting, if a little bit more somber one, to end on. And mm -hmm. obviously I'll have to slap quite a few warnings on this episode, but I have wanted to do a Poltergeist one for quite a long time. So thank you, everyone, for for uh, for humoring me and letting me, yeah, like you could stop me, no, uh, and letting me <laughs> cover this. I have been obsessed with ghosts. I talk about this a lot on the show, but I've been obsessed with ghosts since I was a pretty small child. Um, I was a very creepy kid and I was convinced, uh, of that I, that I was going to become a ghost hunter someday. So I did a lot of reading. I love that for you. Thank you. Especially about poltergeists because they're the ones that are like kind of the flashiest, most dramatic and, and scariest stories. Cause at a certain point you realize that apparitions of, of, of spirits that don't really do anything are much sadder than they are frightening. Mm -hmm. And so I think when I reached a certain age, around like 10 or 11, I was like, that's not scary. Give me the scary stuff. And I wanted to read all about <laughs> poltergeists. And now as I'm a little older, I'm like, part of me still thinks like that. And then the other part of me reads some of it and is like, ah. Um, so, but there's also a third part of me that's like, it's really nice to play with being scared of a ghost and not of just the state of the world right now so that's where i've been gravitating mm -hmm. i've been gravitating toward a lot of like haunting movies i rewatched the conjuring the other day for example nice that stuff oh it's such a good movie um <laughs> speaking of the warrens though they lied about being involved in the enfield haunting investigation that's something you can look into they basically claimed to like do a lot more investigating than they did and then when mm -hmm. other investigators and the family involved were asked they were like no, they were here for like a day. Um, they like poked their heads in and then were like, okay, goodbye. <laughs> but anyway, that's not. Ah, there's always going to be people out there to steal your thunder. I know. Anyway, that's Humans not. Don't <laughs> it's true. Um, even when they're hunting ghosts. Anyway, that's going to do it for our, our episode. I'd like to uh, thank the Lunar Light Studios team for having us be a part of the family. I'd like to thank all of the other shows. Shout outs to uh, Netflix and Kill, Ending Pending, Comradical. There's so many amazing shows over there to check out. And uh, we're just very thrilled to be a part of such a cool family of good podcasts and fun people. Um, yeah. Also, uh, welcome Bad Romance to the network. Um, that's a show I've been listening to a lot over quarantine because I really like just a kind of conversational I love just people riffing about movies I find it very soothing I find it very comforting when I'm very anxious so yeah just wanted to give them a little shout out thank you or welcome to the team and uh Alex did you have anything to tack on at the end here I uh certainly do not no perfect I just didn't want to steamroll over you if you had something nope, you are good beautiful so hope you're all staying safe and doing well it's a tough time but we're all gonna get through it together the best way we can we're going to support each other and do what we do best, I guess, which is try to love and look out for each other and 
get through to the other side. We're just living and laughing and loving out here. Living, laughing, and loving and learning. Maybe getting to the other side is not a thing that we want to say in an episode specifically about spirits. Yeah, I, I felt it. I felt it. It felt wrong. It happened anyway. I didn't mean it like that. Um, anyway, you can find us on Twitter at CryptKeepPod, C-R-Y-P-T-K-E-E-P-P-O-D. Find us on Facebook under The Cryptid Keeper or hang out in our Facebook group, The Cryptid Keeper Appreciation Group. And as always, we hope we can keep you around. And stay safe out there. Lunar Light Studio. Pretty, witty, and gay.